TED Audio Collective. Last month, the UK set a new record high of 104.5 degrees Fahrenheit during a heat wave that scorched the nation. Citizens were encouraged to stay home, seek shade, and hydrate. For the first time ever, parts of the UK were placed under an extreme heat warning. And despite those precautions, about a thousand deaths have now been attributed to the blistering temperatures. Extreme weather events like this one are becoming more common and more extreme around the globe. From heat waves to wildfires, to floods, to hurricanes. And experts agree that these shifts can be attributed to climate change. The reality is the climate crisis is here and it's not looking good. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, the planet has already warmed by at least one degree Celsius since pre-industrial levels, and it's likely to surpass an additional half degree in the next 20 years. For context, 1.5 degrees of warming is projected to cause more heat waves and other extreme weather events that are more severe. And at two degrees of warming, heat extremes will become even more threatening to agriculture and health. We know human activity is driving this phenomenon, and it will be human action that determines how things proceed from here. We don't have time left to avoid the crisis, but that doesn't mean there's no reason to hope for a better, greener future. In fact, now is the best time to get serious on our efforts to address the climate crisis. Because while we might not be able to avoid all the consequences of a changing climate, we can mitigate the most serious consequences. And the first place a lot of people can take action is locally. Today, the mayor of Bristol, Marvin Rees, discusses what role cities like his can play in creating a more sustainable future for us all. Have a listen. Tired of unnecessary payroll errors? Stop them in their tracks. With Paycom, employees do their own payroll. They're able to identify errors and fix them before submission, right in the app, because no one can afford for payroll to be wrong. Not HR and payroll teams, not leaders, and definitely not employees. Shorted paychecks, timesheet corrections, unentered sick days, missing overtime hours, and expense mistakes are, well, unnecessary for everyone. Manage the process to make payday right with Paycom. Learn more at paycom.com slash soundrise. That's paycom.com slash soundrise. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
I have uh, one of the uh, biggest honors that I think any politician could have, and that I was elected the mayor of the place in which I was born and brought up. So that's Bristol in the UK. Well, thank you. <laughs> and it's a big job, from education to housing, to budgets, to trash collection, to protests, to counter-protests. Cities are complicated organisms. They can be tumultuous, and they can be full of contradiction. And as the mayor, I am the accountable person within Bristol. The buck stops with me. And that sometimes is even for issues over which I have very ri little real control or power. And that's fine. That's life. But I have another constituency to whom I'm accountable, and that's one that is within my city, but reaches beyond my city boundaries. And that's the planet and the 7.9 billion other people who depend on it for their survival. We've got ourselves into a situation where it would take 1.7 Earths for our current way of living to be sustainable. So something's got to give. And I think we all know we ain't getting any more Earths, right? So inevitably, it's us who need to change. And as we look around and listen in on the international negotiations, as we look at national inaction too often, there'll be many people wondering how we're going to take this challenge on and even if we're going to be successful. And I understand it. So many people around the world will be losing hope. But my message today is there is hope, and it's hiding in plain sight, and I believe there's huge hope in our cities. So consider these four numbers. Three, 55, 75, 80. Cities occupy less than 3% of the Earth's land surface, so we have a small geographical footprint. In fact, if you put all the cities of the world together, you could fit them into India. And yet, cities are home to over half, 55% of the world's population. And we anticipate that will grow to two-thirds by the middle of this century. Cities are responsible for around 75% of CO2 emissions, and we're also prodigious emitters of nitrogen dioxide and methane and cities consume 80% of the world's energy. But think about this, that it's the characteristics of cities, uh, their reach, their size, their density, close proximity of the leadership to the people, their adaptability, and their capacity for reinvention that mean that we can actually plan to manage those numbers. That means through our cities, we can actually plan to do more for more people with less. And it's why I say cities are one of the most effective tools we have at our disposal for leveraging efficiency into our relationships with land, energy, and waste. Through our cities, we can increase the efficiency of more human lives more quickly than through any other form of human organization. So we can, for example, house and employ more people on less land, minimizing the pressure on urban sprawl, which competes then for land, for nature, while minimizing the distances people have to travel to meet their basic needs. Through cities, we can have people sharing energy by sharing buildings and through smart innovations like heat networks. The density in our cities makes public transport more accessible, 
and more cost-effective. And through our cities, we can transform our relationship with energy. We need energy security right now, but cities offer markets of, of such scale that they make investing in renewables more financially attractive. And think about the opportunities with waste. We can leverage efficiency into the collection and processing of waste while introducing the principles of the circular economy at scale so that resources are recycled, goods are reused, and unavoidable waste is processed for energy, for example, food waste for fertilizer. Now, just think about the global potential of a worldwide network of cities scaling up these kinds of efficiencies for over half and coming on two-thirds of the world's population. And here is the hope I mentioned at the beginning. You don't have to just imagine that. From Freetown to Los Angeles, from Kampala to London, and in many, many cities in between, mayors, city leaders are stepping up and taking action to meet the challenge of the moment. So take Malmo, a city of just under 350,000 people. They've developed a heat network that is fed by heat generated by processed waste. They intend to be 100% powered by renewable or recycled heat by 2030. Oslo is a city that's subsidizing electric vehicles and charging points. They have introduced a circular waste management system. They've purchased a biogas plant, and nearly 50% of all their food waste is recycled. <laughs> Singapore is one of the densest cities in the world, but they are a model of green planning. In recent years, they've introduced huge freshwater reserves and urban gardens that act as the lungs of the city. And I have a huge amount of admiration for Bogota as well, one of the densest cities in Latin America. They've introduced the bus rapid transit system. They're making walking and cycling more accessible, and today have one of the largest fleets of electric buses in Latin America. And while I have the stage, let me show off a little bit about my own city, Bristol, home to 465,901 people, one of whom is here today. We have one, a, a fantastic reputation for being one of the greenest cities in Europe. In Bristol, we have a housing crisis. We must build homes. But we're very conscious of the fact that the kind of homes we build and where we build them will be one of the biggest determinants of the price the planet pays for our growth. So we're focused on delivering net zero homes at higher density on old industrial land in the middle of the city. This allows us to relieve the pressure for urban sprawl. It allows us to design in active travel and design out car dependency. We're even taking action on the climate consequences of the humble toilet. Across our public housing stock, we are replacing bathrooms, and we're taking the opportunity to replace the fittings with more water-efficient alternatives, more water-efficient showers, sinks and taps, and more water-efficient toilets. So not all climate change action is full of glamour, is it? But we mayors are not just focused on what happens inside our city boundaries. You'll find mayors all over the world are leading beyond their authority. 
They're coming together in international networks to set hard target for decarbonisation, to which they hold themselves mutually accountable. You'll find hundreds of these city solidarity networks live in the world right now. The Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy is a network of around 12,000 cities. They've made a collective commitment to take action to ensure that 2030 emissions are nearly two gigatons lower than they would otherwise be if we carried on as we are. And as mayors, we're also stepping up to influence international organisations and the global policy that can support us to take action. The C40 is a network of nearly 100 mayors representing、uh, the world's biggest global cities. City diplomacy is central to their work. Members attend national and international negotiations with the aim of influencing decision making and global commitments. And let me just say, what you get with mayors is a commitment to ensure that these global commitments are turned from words. Into actions, our proximity to our residents means that we are immediately accountable for delivering change that people can see and experience. But herein we bump into another challenge: we will not get the worldwide network of efficient cities that we need without major investment. We will not get a worldwide network of decarbonised cities. Just because we need it, we want it, or because we make flowery declarations about it, we will only get them when we plan it and then pay for it. And yet, city leaders around the world struggle to get access to the kind of finance they need to unlock their city's full potential. And yet, here too, we're not waiting around. In the UK, I'm part of something called the UK Cities Climate Investment Commission. It's our aim to put the UK's biggest cities in touch with the finance they need for that potential to be released. We've identified 206 billion pounds worth of decarbonisation opportunities across the UK: retrofitting, renewals, transition of fleets to electric. And we are making sure that public and private investors are aware of these opportunities in, across the UK. So here's the thing. Mayors, city leaders, we haven't got time for abstract debates or merely flowery declarations. Our populations want change today. They want change yesterday. The climate crisis we're in demands leadership, and mayors I meet around the world are stepping up into that space to meet the moment. We want and need national governments and international organisations. To work with us, to back us, to support us, but we cannot wait for them. The world's top scientists tell us we've got 10 years to turn this thing around, and because of a history of inaction, underperformance, turgidness in decision making, that means that right now we need to make some big bets, and we need to make some big bets on interventions that will deliver change at scale and pace. And I think our cities give us good odds. So here's my call to action: We need to work with the world's mayors to develop a global plan for cities. It's a plan that must decarbonise and build efficiency into existing cities, but to make sure 
that the future processes of urbanization maximize city efficiency. And when I say global, I do mean global. It's a plan that must transcend national boundaries. It must be in the global north, and it must be in the global south, where 90% of future urbanization is going to take place. And it's a plan that must have us move beyond our narrow self-national interest. We must come to see the world's cities as international assets rather than national possessions. We must come to see that investing in the increased efficiency of the world's cities is key to our future. It's going to be key to unlocking our potential. And it's an investment in our global common good. When I was elected mayor of Bristol in 2016, I had a limited appreciation of the global role of the city. And by extension, I had a limited appreciation of the level of responsibility that was therefore falling on my shoulders as a newly elected mayor of a major UK city. In the years since, I've come to understand that cities, the way they are planned, the way they function, the way they grow, and the way they innovate, will be key to whether we are or are not successful in taking on this challenge to stem the tide of global climate change. If we can unlock the full potential of our cities, we can minimize the price the planet pays for hosting us in our growing numbers. I think efficient cities could be one of the most effective tools we have. So I ask you to work with us to build them. Thank you. If there's a surefire way to wake up feeling fresh after a night of enjoying alcohol, it's with Zbiotics. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/tedtech to get 15% off your first order when you use tedtech at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/tedtech and use the code tedtech at checkout for 15% off. Thank you Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. What an exciting vision for the future of our cities. I love how Reese talks about the climate crisis with urgency and hope. Because as we made clear, there is urgency. But the clarity of Reese's vision for sustainable cities helps convert that urgency into actionable momentum rather than just dread. Still, if you're like me, you might respond with some skepticism to calls for change that come in the form of stump speeches. Reese is a politician at the end of the day, so it's important to come at his words with some level of scrutiny. For instance, how much power does the mayor of Bristol really have to curb the devastating impact 
of the 100 corporations and states responsible for at least 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions since 1988. How much power does any mayor have to reduce the carbon footprint of the U.S. military, one of the largest climate polluters in history? But still, we need to plan for a new era of sustainable cities and to leverage the density and agility of our cities towards innovating new climate solutions. But even in the best case scenario for Reese's vision, there will still be a lot of work to do and a lot of stakeholders to bring on board. So I wanna leave you with a few additional points to consider. Climate change and leadership is also about uniting the people, supporting everyday citizens to make changes on an individual level. Cities are successful when residents have affordable housing, good education, green space for recreation, access to healthy food options, and wages that can sustain families. One area that Reese would like to see highlighted more is the expansion of walkable cities. Effective and efficient transportation can play a tremendous role in economic mobility, growth, and reduced emissions, no matter where cities and their residents land on the economic spectrum. Better transit options means people can take rapid bus transit to affluent communities for higher wages. Elders can have access to more options for accessing important services. And something as simple as updated bus shelters can double as beautification efforts, not to mention reducing what we pay at the pump. I love how in cities like Charlotte, transportation advocates and city officials worked together to increase protected bike lanes and create paths for safe pedestrian traffic. More solutions like those will mean we can keep working towards a more sustainable future, just like Reese said. TED Tech is part of the TED Audio Collective and is produced by TED in partnership with Transmitter Media. Our editor is Sammy Case, and the show is fact-checked by Christiane Aparta. I'm Sherelle Dorsey. Let's keep digging into the future. Join me next week for more.